Hey everybody, C-Note here and welcome to Dopamine, the show that is like football. I have no idea what's going on. I'm just throwing the ball and hoping for the best. Today we're talking with Linda Green, the first guest that I've had in quite a little while actually. Uh, I stopped doing guest spots because it was very draining, but I've been realizing that a lot of other things are draining. So there are just a lot of unchecked, unresolved things that I have to deal with that actually likely link to complex PTSD that I still need to explore um, for me personally. But we're going to talk about more traditional PTSD in terms of uh, someone having a specific event in their lives and having to work through it. Uh, Linda tells her story about how she uh, came to find out that she had PTSD and what happened in her life and how she's starting to use that as a means to empower herself and to start to help other people through this, um, through these lessons that she's learned from other people through therapy, through coaching, and is now a coach herself, uh, to help others to manage their system symptoms and, uh, create context and learn someone's story and actually connect with them. So we talk about all about that, uh, on today's episode of dopamine PTSD. Let's do this. Drums, All right, everyone, welcome to the show. And uh, today I have uh, my first guest that I've had in quite a while, um, someone who is close to me in the Gorilla Group, um, a group that I talk about all the time, and um, she's doing a lot of great work um, out on the internet. So welcome to the show, Linda Green. Uh, thank you, Christian. It's a uh actually a great honor to be here. Oh, thank you so much. I, I appreciate that too. Um, so uh, just real quick, so we can get a kind of an introduction of you. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, yourself, uh, what you do, and um, you know how that all relates to the mental health discussion. Sure. Um, my background, uh, I spent about 30 plus years in the fire service working my way up from being a firefighter, engineer, captain, chief officer the last 10 years I worked. Um, great opportunities to travel up and down the state of California. Met a lot of great people. Um, and then uh, it's like I was getting ready to retire anyhow because mm -hmm. I had reached uh, the maximum capacity for my pension. Nice. Um, but, you know, I was going to do one last year, so um, I just started working in a particular program. I wanted to set a, a really solid foundation for it. Mm -hmm. uh, what happened uh, about 18 months before I retired, though, we had a massive fire here uh, where I live, and I responded to that. Mm -hmm. And as a result of it, um, unbeknownst to me, because it didn't pop up for several months, uh, I ended up with a post-traumatic stress injury, mm -hmm. which is where I entered the mental health picture. Right. Um, I had what was called a delayed expression of post-traumatic stress. I had some of the symptoms early on. Uh, insomnia was definitely one of them and uh, nightmares and uh, night terrors. Mm -hmm. uh, but I didn't hit all the check boxes basically for the diagnosis for about nine months. Mm -hmm. uh, so 
with about six months to go in my career, I spent half of that time not working uh, because I just wasn't capable anymore. Right. Um, and even when I went back, I was doing a fraction of what I used to do. I just didn't have the capacity, uh, mental energy or stamina to, to do much more than a few hours a day. But right. um, so my first year in retirement was spent on my recovery, my mental health, uh, my physical recovery. Um, and as I was starting to improve, one of the things that helped me get back uh, in the groove faster was the uh, was the coaching process. Yes, I was in therapy. I was working with a psychologist. Mm-hmm. Um, but shortly after my injury happened, I just felt like I was in a rut. Right. So with uh, my upcoming um, retirement, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do in my retirement days. So I actually hired a life coach. Um, it was like a 12 week process to go through everything. And mm-hmm. um, I learned a lot of things, how to be more productive. Uh, I had a greater idea of what I wanted to do in my retirement. Um, you know, retirement's just a date on a calendar. I still had, you know, lots to give and I wanted to right. still be involved somehow with my community. And, um, like I said, as I was recovering from my post-traumatic stress injury, I realized that that coaching process had really helped accelerate my recovery. Mm-hmm. By, uh, I think at one time I was thinking like at least eight months of getting back to, you know, the new version, Linda, Linda version 5.6. Uh, <laughs> um, so it's like, I really got curious about that. And, mm-hmm. um, started looking into uh, getting certified in that coaching process because I, I believed if it could help me get back on my feet faster, what could it do for other people? Right. Uh, also dealing with post-traumatic stress. Mm-hmm. Uh, I happened to come into some money uh, last year, so I could afford the certification process. Um, so I did that last summer and mm-hmm. I spent the next several months looking at that and looking at my own journey and trying to figure out how it fits in, how that coaching process fits into the, the recovery process. Right. And, um, it's like, it finally came to me, uh, uh, on a one evening when I was feeling unsettled and I, uh, you, you can't see my office, but I keep a easel pad up in the corner because sometimes I just get struck by a creative flame and I have to go draw something mm-hmm. uh, and what I ended up drawing was this visual picture of of how post-traumatic stress impacts people mm-hmm. and it looks like a tree um, but you know it, it addresses a lot of different things you know how it impacts you who's impacted where do you even start recovering and then I can also have a visual for what this coaching process looks like and how, how it addresses belief circles about yourself, which is one of the things that kind of gets fragmented when you have post-traumatic stress. Right. Um, and how to start putting tools and habits back into play to support the recovery process. So um, 
just recently started working with a few clients on it and um, it's kind of a blending of the coaching process plus the things I've learned and learned from other people mm-hmm. and and the tools that I know that have helped me over the last year and a half to you know get back to being you know my current version of Linda. Yeah, so um, I think we can just kind of, um, uh, actually real quick, we're going to just kind of uh, pause recording for a second, just so I can throw in our sponsor, and then we'll hit record again, so that we can, I can ask you a couple questions. Sure. All right. All right, and we're back. Um, so uh, you, you kind of gave us a, a, a full breadth of your story, which is amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, and uh, essentially, I think we can kind of start from the top, from, from where we are now, and try to work our way back, if that's okay. We can talk about, um, essentially, I want to know what you're doing with your clients. You know, um, uh, how, how do you start the conversation? You know, because uh, the, the, the topic around PTSD, you know, it, it's, it's, um, it's a bit of a fragile one, right? I mean, you yeah, want to have yeah. a healthy, uh, safe conversation. You want to make sure that they can trust you and you're respecting their boundaries and all of that stuff. So how do you get that conversation going with someone? Um, you actually hit on one of the key things and is establishing mm-hmm. trust. Right. Um, you know, no, no stranger is going to jump on a phone call with me if they don't already know about me a little bit and they don't understand where I'm coming from. Right. Uh, so I utilize social media to um, get my message out there. You know, I have Instagram. I'm on Twitter. Uh, I have a private Facebook group with a few hundred people in it, and I share part of the story. I ask questions, and you know, establish that relationship uh, in there. Um, plus, I post things on my own personal Facebook page. And that's mm-hmm. just so people get to know who I am. Right. And I'm not, I'm not throwing myself out there like, you know, the perfect expert because trust me, there are a lot of smart people out there uh, (laughs) who who spend decades in college, uh, you know, getting their training to be a psychologist or a psychiatrist. Um, Where, where I come in is at the more practical level of that. So um, for me, establishing that trust it's a slow process and sometimes we're just you know texting back and forth Mm -hmm. and you know it it's like i'm still trying to figure out how to speed that process up a little bit right but um with the post-traumatic stress depending on where somebody is on on the spectrum you know the paranoia may be stronger Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly their ability to trust other people may be impacted. So for me, it, it's just being out there and letting them know, yes, I hear you. Um, and if you have questions, you know, I'll try and answer them. I do Facebook lives or I'll go find an article that addresses what it is they're concerned about. Um, and, and that's how I build up the trust. Mm-hmm. Once I get there and you know, you know, I get into a point where I can, you know, have a text chat with them. Um, eventually, I'll just say, hey, let's get on a call because I'm getting arthritis in my thumbs from, you know, texting so much. But, uh, and, and once I get them in a call, I just start having a conversation just like you and I are having, you know, what's bugging them, what are their 
of big concerns, what are their big fears? And hopefully by then I've established enough of a relationship with them. And it might be two or three phone calls or, or more, or we don't talk for a couple months and I'm okay with that. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't want, I'm not going to force anybody into a coaching program that they don't feel it's the right thing for them. Um, so it's a slow process. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a slow, yeah, it's a slow, delicate process. And it has yeah. to be right. Um, you know, you don't want to have to be you don't want to be the cause of anything worse. You, you're here to help people. So it's certainly um, important to ease into it. And like you were saying, it's not necessarily about or it sounds like I'm, no, I'm nowhere near an expert on this, but it sounds like, um, you know, the, the process involves, like you said, trust, and it's not necessarily um, congruent with length of experience and usually and for you having personal experience kind of gives you a leg up because uh, respectfully because there are therapists out there who are treating mental health they're treating ptsd they're treating all sorts of issues they've not experienced them themselves they're kind of going off of uh external reference or um you know, experience with people and seeing the patterns and such like that. But it's a completely different thing to be helping someone while having experienced this yourself. So as, as an extension of that, um, are there any uh, like common symptoms? A lot of people have the, the common perception of what these symptoms are when you talk about insomnia and nightmares and, and um, um, just kind of like the, the sudden expression that, that it kind of hits you with. Um, what are some of the more common symptoms that you see and that you've experienced yourself that um, maybe can separate people from understanding like the, you know, the, the, the media perception, you know, you see it in movies and you see that sort of stuff. Like what, what is the reality versus the fiction? I guess I'm, I'm trying to ask. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yes, there's a Hollywood version and actually mm -hmm. they're starting to get it close to being right. But, mm -hmm. um, but they're, you know, PTS runs a spectrum not unlike autism or any other of the mental health challenges that people live with. There are people who have a very mild form of it. And the science is that for the most part, people with post-traumatic stress within a few months will self-regulate mm. and go back to living a normal life. Um, and then there are other people at way at the far end that uh, we first start hearing about in Hollywood those are the people who actually see their ghosts uh, and, and they're being talked to in their brain and right. uh, extreme, extreme dysfunction. Mm. Um, most people are somewhere in, in the middle of those two extremes that have lingering effects of the post-traumatic stress. So yes, their insomnia is one of the early symptoms, uh, definitely the nightmares, night terrors. Um, you know, it's like you can't, uh, you know, the hyper, being hyper aroused, hyper vigilant, mm -hmm. um, you just get to a point where um, you're unsettled, especially if you're in crowds, um, you start watching your back a lot more, you know, you see a lot with like police officers and whatnot when they're sitting in a restaurant, even off duty, they'll sit with their back uh, or facing the door so they can see people coming in. Um, people with post-traumatic stress start doing the same thing. You know, they're mm -hmm. watching their back. They can't relax. Uh, they might be hyper uh, aroused by certain noises because uh, mm -hmm. that can be a trigger 
or flashback into their situation that they got their injury from. Um, you know, it's like for me, uh, certain noise levels mm-hmm. would just drive me bonkers. Right. And uh, my husband, bless him, he actually, once we talked about that symptom, he actually went and got me some noise canceling headphones. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I would just turn that on and go back in the back bedroom, close the door, and just because I'd be so stimulated from the noise, um, people can be triggered by odors, things right. that they see. Uh, you can be put into a situation and end up having a, a trigger into more of a flashback situation. What, one of the symptoms that's not talked about enough is, and it's actually part of the criteria to get diagnosed with post-traumatic stress is how it impacts your ability to function from day, day to day, whether in your personal life, your home life, or work, or uh, social situations, that, that that functionality gets impacted. Mm-hmm. And uh, an example I'll give from my own story, um, I needed to write a $100 check to my dentist. I tried for four months to write that check. Mm-hmm. You know, I finally had to, had to hand it off to my husband. I mean, things that are so basic, I just couldn't do. Right. Um, and, and that's what, one of the ways that makes it really frustrating. Another uh, thing that people, people who've been there understand is that disconnect that you end up having between, um, and, and I call it the, the mind soul connection is I could look at the facts of the case of the fire that I got injured on and know everything to be absolutely true. Yes, I was there. I did everything right. And I could accept it on a factual basis, but the brain was not talking to my soul. Right. And it's like, I mean, there was no connection, not even, not even a fraction of a electrical impulse going there. Right. And, um, and the way I explained that to a friend last month is it's like you're, you're a shell of who you are. Mm-hmm. And, and you just don't have the ability to touch the world around you. Right. And it sounds like that's one of the biggest challenges is, uh, is, is separating your post-traumatic self versus the previous self. Um, I, I think this can occur sometimes in, um, in, in certain types of um, manic scenarios that I've experienced because I have cyclothymia, which is a low-grade bipolar disorder, and I get mm-hmm. into hypomania situations where um, I'm actually starting to slowly get into it. It's sort of a, it's a cyclical bipolar, but it's kind of lower energy. Um, and I get into hypomania or depression, and I sort of, I just feel like a completely different person during mania and then after, and you're almost kind of, trying to ask for help, you know, after the fact. And it's, it's really difficult to connect those lines between being someone that you're just kind of used to being able to do everything. Because part of hypomania is being able to feel like you can take on the world. And I imagine, um, you know, for, and for an average person, you know, it's kind of the same thing where you just feel, you feel capable. And that's kind of yeah. me, me seeing an extreme version of being capable. But then afterwards, you're sort of realizing that some of these seemingly innocuous things and you're almost beating yourself up, right? It sounds like you're trying to have to, to get past this stage of like, okay, 
defeating myself in this way where I'm trying to write a hundred dollar check. You have to almost, uh, if you're having challenges with asking for help or have throughout your life, you know, asking for help now is going to be a challenge. And I think that is where a coach comes into play. Um, perhaps a little bit better than a therapist might, because again, a coach is likely going to be someone who is, who has experienced this and mm -hmm. they know the difference. They feel the contrast. Whereas a therapist would be, well, not to downplay therapists at all, but a therapist is probably going to play by the book or they might try to give you medication or, you know, they're, they're not empathizing with the scenario. So it sounds like, um, through your coaching, which is already sounding like something that's amazing for people is, um, you know, you're able to bring that empathic element to it, um, which is absolutely incredible. And you were talking a little bit about, um, you know, expressing your creativity, you have an easel nearby, things like that. Um, when people are experiencing certain symptoms, um, what are perhaps some of the little tips that someone can implement someone who's just listening without having to, to, to have a coach. What is maybe a couple or, or just one idea that someone can do to express their PTSD through something or to mitigate symptoms uh, in some kind of way? Um, one, of, one of the things that I started doing early on, not that I had ever been told to do it, mm -hmm. but um, for me, it, it became a huge um, avenue of release of the supercharged energy because i didn't want to take it out on my family i didn't want to yell at the dog i didn't want to do all those crazy things like punch holes in the walls but sometimes i would just get super angry mm -hmm. and not be able to sleep and it'd be three o'clock in the morning and it's like what can i do to dissipate this energy and i started journaling mm. um, and i remember one night I was just angry about a situation at work. I was still working at that time. And mm -hmm. um, the situation was personally involved. And I was just, you know, my anger was at like a 9.2 mm -hmm. out of 10. And um, I just grabbed a, a notebook I had and, and I just started writing. Didn't think about what I was writing. I just wrote until the energy dissipated. And that took about 25 minutes because mm -hmm. I was trying to figure out the situation. And right. um, so I took a step away from that, made myself a cup of tea, sat back down. And then I looked at what I had written and started looking at it from the perspective of out of all those bullet points that I just threw down. So what do I actually have control over? Mm -hmm. And when I looked at it from that perspective, there were like three things I had control over out of the 20 things I listed and it's like oh once I saw that okay I can control this stuff I can take care of that tomorrow and I felt a sense of relief and then I was able to let the rest of it go mm -hmm. so I can't control what that person said I can't control how that person acts I can't control what policy says about this situation um, and I was able to let it go went to bed and I was asleep in five minutes. Um, and from that point on, I journaled almost every day. You know, I would come home from work, be irritated or whatever. Before I go to sleep, I would just write so I could dump it out mm -hmm. and not have it bouncing around my brain, keeping me right. awake. Um, 
and it's a nice thing about journaling. It's free. Right. You know, <laughs> you, know uh, you can do it on any piece of paper. You can go to the dollar store, pick up a 50 cent journal, right. uh, composition book. Everybody has, you know, I don't know about you, but I have, you know, the dust bunny version of excess pens floating around my house. <laughs> and, um, and, and writing is, it, it's your extension. And, right. And I found it to be more powerful to put pen to paper or pencil to paper mm. because that involves a lot of your body um, and a lot of your senses because you have to look at the paper, you're holding a pen, which helps ground you. Mm -hmm. um, and you're just, you know, basically brainstorming what's going on in your head, but you're putting it on paper. Right. So is this something that you've developed as um, a habit or do you typically kind of wait until you're starting to feel something coming to you or, or are you just kind of something you do every morning, every night, uh, throughout the day, things like that? At that time, it was a lot more random. Mm -hmm. um, I've made it more of a regular part of my day now. Uh, oh. At night, one of the things I started doing um, to help set up a good night of sleep is I would write in a gratitude journal at night, mm -hmm. like right before going to bed. Uh, my goal was to document and writing three cool things I saw that day, mm -hmm. whether it was, uh, um, you know, the sound of a songbird, you know, uh, beautiful flowers, the fall colors right now are turning color. Maybe I happen to see a random act of kindness one person helping another. Um, and so that allowed me to stay in the present mm -hmm. and set a positive tone for going to bed. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good idea. Yeah. I, I, th I think generally, even if you're not experiencing uh, PTSD, having some sort of gratitude journal or something to even list out things that you do have control of or, or just having different times of the day to journal for different reasons. Uh, sounds like a very um, healthy thing for, for anyone to do. So that's a, that's a solid recommendation. Um, and I, I guess as we start to, to wrap up here, um, I, I had one last question about when people start to work with you or if you've, if, if a couple of people have come work for you or with you rather, um, has anyone expressed uh, a fear of the process? I know, for example, when I first started to go to therapy for what I thought was bipolar disorder, um, turned out to be a different form of it. But when I started to look for a therapist or I, I started to go to the therapist first, um, I was very scared of the process. I was scared mm -hmm. that someone was just going to push pills on me. I was scared that I was not going to connect with this person. And I was scared that I was uh, eventually going to find out that I was helpless. <laughs> so do you, do you find that people have come to you with that kind of fear and expression? Um, they haven't expressed it that way. And trust me, I felt the same way therapy right. i gotta go talk to somebody about right. me right. oh oh no we don't do that uh <laughs> and uh and and the whole drug thing i was very adamant i wasn't going to take drugs uh right. eventually i got to the point where uh somebody pounded some sense into me and mm. and uh, i self-realized that maybe if i just you know took a little bit of some medicine to help lift up my depression that would get mm. me at least to um the first level of the basement 
so that therapy would be more effective. Right. Um, and that opened the door for that. So, mm-hmm. um, but in order to address somebody's concerns about what coaching is all about, you know, this is basically what we do. We just talk, you know, I ask questions about, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if we're talking about energy management, which is physical energy and mental energy, it's like, what are you doing now? And I help guide people to their own truth about what's one or two things you can do a little bit better. How can you tweak that? And I help people build their own path along their recovery. Mm-hmm. And there are things that will help them that will serve them better than what they're not doing. Whether right. it's maybe you just need to drink, you know, 12 ounces of water a day. We can just start on that instead of pounding coffee all day long. Right. You know, it's all about helping helping them get say on their you know energy if they're on a scale of one to ten if they're at five my goal is to help them get to a six right and if it's a long-term enough relationship then we'll go from a six to a seven there's no you're if you're at five now i have you at 10 next week that's unrealistic right and it's, it doesn't serve anybody and it actually hurts more than helps so um i I take time and I explain my process, you know, mm-hmm. and it is, this is what it is. You know, it doesn't, doesn't matter where you are on that scale. As long mm-hmm. as you just recognize it as, as a starting point and you can start there and start leveling up in a way that makes sense for you. Yeah. And th- that's totally an expression of the, the, the building of the trust and relationships w- with one another so that you can really start to dive into the context of someone's story because that's, you know, PTSD, while it is a uh, widely known thing, it is also a very individualized thing. Everyone has the exactly. unique experience and they need to express it and work through it. And it sounds like you um, from, well, from what I've experienced with you, uh, within, you know, my inner circle on Facebook is that we've been able to, I've been able to see that you are genuinely connecting with people. And through this conversation, I hope people can also experience that. And, um, I would love for people to be able to get to know you a little bit more also if they need to reach out to you for your coaching. So, um, if you could just give us a little quick, um, uh, note as to where they can get a hold of you. Yeah, I have a Facebook page at PTSD puzzle mm-hmm. or you can find me on Instagram, linda.ptsd.story. Mm-hmm. Shoot, shoot me an email, uh, linda at encouragegreen.com. So mm-hmm. you have ways of reaching me. You can find me on Facebook. Mm-hmm. I hang out in the jungle. So. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, and if anyone wants to try to get the, through to Linda, through me, you can totally reach out to me as well on all of my social channels and through this show. So um, thank you, Linda, for being here. I really appreciate it. I know you're a fan of the show also. So thank you for being a listener as well as an interviewee. Thank you so much for being here. No, it's like I said, it's my pleasure and my honor to be on your show. Um, you know, what you do with your show is wonderful. It's blowing apart stigmas and it, it's taking the conversation sometimes people are afraid to go there so um i think you're doing a great service to everybody and uh and i love that you're gaining uh increased the uh, in- increasing number of people listening to your show every every month <laughs>
I think it's awesome. Thank you so much. I really do appreciate that. So again, thank you, Linda, for being on the show. And for those of you listening, be sure to leave a review or um, share this show. If you really know someone who could benefit from this PTSD discussion, that would be absolutely amazing. And feel free to subscribe to the show or leave a donation at dopamine.life. And uh, that's it. So uh, you take care, Linda, and everyone listening. Take care of yourselves and each other. And we'll catch you next time on Dopamine. Hey, you beautiful human. Thanks for listening to Dopamine and providing your support for this show. I really, really appreciate it. If you really love this show, leave a review on iTunes and Stitcher to show some love for the podcast. You can also check out cnote.media to check out my work and my courses. But um, with that, we'll catch you next time. See you guys later.